Blog Talk Radio. The headlights are a cut in the fog on a midnight highway. And 18 wheels are a driving through the dawn. There's a Blue Ridge Mountain sunrise filling the mirror. Ashtrays full, the coffee's almost gone And the truckers heading west to Colorado Passing the miles with his friends on the CB coast And tonight the truck stops somewhere out in nowhere And tomorrow's the wind and the open road Gonna drive that rig to glory And I believe I feel the freedom in his story Riding that diesel wine Chasing that long white line Dropping that load on time And he's going home Hi, everybody, and welcome to the Interactive Internet. I'm your host, Pete Carr, welcoming you to our Sunday afternoon, Sunday evening show. And uh, I was just talking with uh, Brian a few minutes ago. Hi, Brian. Hi, Dad. Yeah, Brian, um, where are you at today? Uh, somewhere in Kentucky. Exact location, I'm not sure. <laughs> Okay. Yeah, we were just talking a minute ago, folks, about um, a load that he picked up, and it took him 12 hours to get loaded, and now he's late for his delivery. And all because of a damn computer system at the shipper, huh? Yeah, that and other things, like I was telling you earlier, it took seven and a half hours uh, before they even started loading me. Uh, about another two to three hours to actually get me loaded, and about another two hour, two hours just for uh, paperwork. So that was about 12 hours there, huh? Yeah, well, if you want to be exact, I, I got at the gate. Uh, actually, by the time I got to the gate and by the time I signed out at the gate, I was there for 12 hours and three minutes. Yeah. And, uh, the way the logbook situation is, you, you can be on duty for 14 hours, then you've got to take a 10-hour break. So well, i got a 10-hour break plus two with sitting there. <laughs> yeah, if you if you log it as a break, but if you log it as on duty not driving, then you ran your 14 hours out, basically. See, that's just that and my, my 14-hour, well... My my fourteen hour clock started uh, about two and a half three hours before I got there because you know you had to figure uh, the the ten to fifteen minutes for you know pre trip and then the driving there which of course your driving counts uh, towards your fourteen hours. Yeah. Yeah, that's um. But that's yeah, that was. That... Uh... Okay. Well, what else? What I was going to say, Brian, is this is something that we face every day as truckers out here where um, following the letter of the law doesn't exactly match what we do in, in reality. Mm-hmm. Okay. Anyway, you're headed to uh, you're headed to the Walmart Distribution Center in London, Kentucky, and then after that you're going home for a while, huh? Yeah, supposed to be going home. When okay. I'll get there, I don't know. It just depends on what uh, what Walmart says. Yep, yep. All right. Well, anyway, um, we'll just watch your signal and and see if we can keep you on for the whole hour of the show. Uh, I know you're up up in the backwoods of Kentucky, and it may not have you may not have cell service. Uh, you might drop off, so. We'll keep an eye on it, and if you drop off, we'll get you back in here uh, later on or next Sunday or whatever, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. All right, and uh, Steve, Lou just logged in, too. Hi, Lou. 
Hi, Pete. How's it going? Okay. Um, I'm in Amarillo, Amarillo, Texas, and I am waiting on uh, another trailer to, to show up out of Denver. I'm figuring he'll be here in a couple more hours. And then uh, we're going to swap trailers. Um, he's got my delivery trailer, and my first delivery is going to be here in Amarillo, Texas uh, at 3 a.m. Hang on, we got a truck going by here, a noisy truck. Mm. I'm, uh, I'm shut I'm shut down, but I have the windows open to kind of get a little breeze going through there. Okay. If it gets noisy, I'll have to start the truck up and crank up the air conditioner. Wow. Uh, no, so far I don't even hear it, so. Okay, well, anyway, um, just as soon as the show is over, um, I'm going to shut down and I'm going to try and lay down and take a little nap because, like I said, my first delivery is going to be at 3 a.m. and I don't have a clue what I have on that truck after that. Um, knowing the uh, this particular run uh, starts in Amarillo at Affiliated Foods, so I know the next one it's probably going to be sometime around 7 or 8 o'clock in the morning, uh, right up the street here at uh, Benny Keith Foods. We usually do uh, two to three deliveries in Amarillo and then uh, go out from here. And I think I have to go back to Oklahoma City. I've got deliveries in Oklahoma City and Tulsa after that. But like I said... But like I said, Lou and everybody else, as soon as this show is over, I've got to lay down and try and get some sleep because 3 a.m. time is 2 a.m. mountain time, which I run off as mountain time. Mm-hmm. So anyway, real quickly, Lou, catch up everybody on uh, on your doings this week, and then we'll get uh, we'll get into the subjects of the show and. Um, Today's show, folks, we're going to talk a little bit about the the EPA spill in the Animus River in Colorado, and we're also going to touch on the uh, terrorist attack on a train in Belgium on Friday, I believe it was, that uh, was subdued by three off-duty American service personnel. So anyway, uh, Lou, catch everybody up real quick, what's going on with you, and then we'll move on. Well, last weekend, as you know, I had uh, all kinds of furniture and stuff to get moved out of my living room, or, you know, things off out of cabinets and so forth and, and passed away because I was getting rid of carpeting and having a floor laid. And it was interesting the way everything came down. It was supposed to be done over Wednesday and Thursday, my two days off. And I got a call Wednesday morning. The guy doing it was sick, so he couldn't start it. And we had carpeting that had to be pulled up, and we had underfloors that had to be treated. So my neighbor and myself and the son of my roommate got in here, and we started hauling all this big, heavy furniture, you know, like a seven-foot curio cabinet and two seven-foot China cabinets that you keep dishes and pots and pans and things in, and a big desk, which is old enough that only two of the drawers come out. So it was interest, interesting watching all this, and I'm, I'm watching it as I'm doing it as well. So we got it done. We got all the furniture out of the way, We the living room stuff and things like that. We just basically put one end to the other. We got the carpeting out of one end, and then we moved that stuff out, and then we got the carpeting out of that end and got it all laid out nice and neat for the guy the next day to haul it off because that was part of the deal. He had to haul that all that carpeting off. And we're talking about 370 square feet that we were working with. We got it all out got it taken care of, and he said that they could do it in one day, get all the carpeting out, we'd have time to treat the floor underneath, 
while he worked on one end and, you know, we could work on the other, et cetera, that he could get all the carpeting out, we could treat, and he could get everything laid in one day. Well, that was not a possibility because they got in Thursday morning a little after 9. They did not get finished with getting the big pieces of furniture moved for us, so all we had to do was rearrange the other stuff. They didn't get out of here until 6 o'clock Thursday night. So there's no way they could have done everything that we did in two days in one. But it really looks nice. It doesn't even look like the same place anymore. Of course, the dogs, the, the big dog in particular, has been having a little bit of an issue with the floor because she's used to being on carpet. But she's working her way around it. She was able to get in last night during the night and steal one of her sister's treats. So there was a little war going on there, but that's an all that's an every night affair. So other than that, now my next project is um to get out into the yard again because I have stuff out there that has to be redone, like weeding and stuff. I'm waiting for when I can have a day off and I can sit down and watch a movie without having to worry about anything having to be done anywhere. Not sure when that's gonna happen, but hopefully it will soon. Well, well, good. Okay, so you got um. No, I have a wood floor. A wood floor for that. Oh, okay. A wood floor for that. No carpeting. Oh, okay, okay. Hopefully, that'll help with the allergies too. Yeah, yeah. Carpeting does uh, does collect all sorts of nasty little things. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, um, maybe next week I'll be down there to get to see that. Yeah. Okay. All right, good. Um, anything else, Lee, before we move on here? Nothing that I'm aware of. I worked all day, so, of course, I'm not up on any of the new stuff that's going on. So. Yeah. Okay. That's basically. All right. All right, good. Well, like I said, uh, I should be down there just next week, uh I'm trying to get myself eventually turned to get to uh, Florida, and I was supposed to be there uh, this week, but apparently I'm not going to be there this week. I'm going to be there next week. Uh, so we'll see what happens, because I have uh, I have a, a number of VA uh, uh, hospital appointments, a clinic, and, and primary care appointments that I was supposed to make this week, folks, and simply because of the trucking industry and running my butt off. Um, we blew that out the window, so I'll see what I could do to set up for next week. Anyway, a um, couple of things we're, gonna, we're, we're catching up on uh, on some news. This is not brand new news, but apparently on August 5th, over in southwestern Colorado, uh, there was an EPA contractor that was working on a uh, on basically a dam that was holding back several million gallons of, of uh, tainted water from an old gold mine up in the hills there uh, by Durango, Colorado. And apparently, they uh, they broke through the earthen dam, earthen rock dam, and they left millions of gallons of uh, tainted water goes down into the Animus River. Now, the Animus River, Colorado, it flows south into New Mexico, and then it joins the San Juan River at Farmington. The San Juan eventually drains into the Colorado River at Lake Powell, Arizona. So we're talking about sending pollution down the smallest of the three, the Animus River, down into the San Juan River, and then the San Juan dumps into Lake Powell in Arizona. Now, Lake Powell is the Colorado River, and it supplies water to everything from Phoenix west to Los Angeles. So this EPA contractor has polluted water that is going to be used by people in Arizona, California, and Mexico. Um, they said that 
the EPA. Now, now you know, folks, the EPA stands for the Environmental Protection Agency. I call it the Environmental Polluting Agency. Um, this water contains heavy metals and metalloids, including lead, arsenic, cadmium, aluminum, copper, and calcium. Now, of course, everything that, that calcium is basically dangerous to humans in large quantities. Uh, certainly, lead, lead, arsenic, and cadmium are, are dangerous to humans. Anyway, they uh, they let this, this go down the river. And it created an orange... Uh, that went down through, and there are some, some pictures on the internet. You, you can see where a couple of kayakers are uh, floating in this orange river that the animals used to, you know, used to be a nice blue color. Now, now it's orange. Um, the um, the basic spill has gone down and dissipated, but the heavy metals, you know, the arsenic, the cadmium. Uh, the lead and all that, that is being pushed downstream into Lake Powell. Now, because they're heavy metal, they will settle on the bottom of the uh, of the rivers as it flows down. When you have a, 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 a strong water flow, it will move them. But generally, those heavy metals will simply settle to the bottom of the river wherever they're at. When, when the water flow slows down enough, uh, for them not to be propelled downstream, they will go to the bottom and they will sit there. And water will flow over that for years to come. They have polluted the river for years to come. Now, uh, back when I was living in Virginia, I worked for a trucking company out of Pennsylvania. And what I did is I took loads of uh, calcium carbonate, which is also known as, as uh, lime, limestone, crushed lime. Um, I took that up to Western Maryland, and Maryland Department of the Environment runs uh, a series of what they call lime doses, a lime doses. Basically, nothing more than a silo with uh, a little bit of machinery attached to the bottom of it. The line drops into a screen and is and is uh, washed in water, and then that that line uh, water is uh, dripped into the upper reaches of the Potomac River. And what they do is they put these lime dosers up there between abandoned coal mines and the Potomac River itself. They have, they have little water runs, little streams that come out of uh, out of the coal mines. <laughs> and excuse me, that uh, that water is highly acidic. So the lime doser it puts. Uh, Mine into the water and it takes the acidity, you know, it makes it more alkaline, more neutral pH. Well, anyway, that's what I'm thinking about. What we need to do up in Colorado is put these lime dosers out there on the Animus River and cut the acid and do that on a regular basis. I mean, you know, if you look up the part, uh, Maryland Department of the Environment, uh, lime doser, if you look that up on Google, you'll find some interesting articles on it, you'll see a couple of the line dosers that have pictures of them. Uh, there's one, and I can't remember what the caption is, there's one doser, it's a real tall silo, and it looks like a long driveway up to the silo itself. Well, that was one of them that, that I delivered to. And I'll tell you a real funny story real quick about that particular doser. You have to come up uh, by Kempton, Maryland, and get on a little back road. You go past the doser with your tractor trailer, and then you stop the truck, and you have to walk 
up through the gate. You have to walk up to the doser and get uh, the key for the gate and then walk back to the gate and open it up so you can back your prayer lift and, uh, and blow off the line up into the asylum. So I got up there late one afternoon and, you know, up in those hills, when that sun goes below the hill, uh, it creates a dark shadow. It's getting to be Sunday. And I got out of the truck, and I started to walk up that little path right there. And I, I looked ahead of me, and I saw what looked like a couple of, looked like somebody had thrown out some black plastic garbage bags. They were up there on the path. And as I got closer to the black plastic garbage bags, one of them got up and looked at me. It wasn't a garbage bag, folks. It was a black bear. It was a bear sitting in the, in the path. So I did the little Michael Jackson moon shuffle. I, you know, started walking backwards real slow, keeping my eye on the bears, and uh, went back around out of the gate, and uh, went up to my truck and got some food because I always carry food. And I went down the path in another direction and threw the food out, and the bears got up and walked over and checked out ate the food while I uh, walked up the path itself. Now, at that particular doser, there was one of the engineers there like that. And he was inside working on something, and a bear came up behind him and raked his back with its claw. And the only reason I know this is because I met the engineer, you know. We were up there a lot of times when uh, Department of Environment Engineers were up there working. The guy had his shirt off, and I mean, it looked like a plowed field on his back. And I asked him what happened, and he said he was working up at one of the silos one day up there by Kempton, and uh, up there came up behind him and, and just raked him, you know, just, just kind of playing around, and uh, raked him with his claws. Terrible. Anyway, uh, check that out, folks. These line dosers do a heck of a good job cutting the acidity out of abandoned mine. And for the most part, if it's a gold mine or a and especially a coal mine, it's going to be highly acidic water. Well, they're trying to um, they're trying to preserve the Potomac by doing this out there in Western Maryland. Because all of that water goes into the upper reaches of the Potomac and then it goes down you know, to D.C. and Chesapeake Bay and all that. Um, so they're trying to cut the acidity out of the water way up, way up in the hill at, at the outset. This thing on the Animus River, uh, you know, folks, if that was a private corporation that made that million gallons bill, the EPA would be fining them billions of dollars. We would, we would hear nothing but all about that. Remember the BP? Oil still out in the Gulf of Mexico. That's all we heard about for months and months and months. Uh, we had the Exxon Valdez up in up in Alaska some years ago. Anytime there's uh, an environmental catastrophe caused by a private corporation, the EPA nails them and they fine them millions and billions of dollars. But now, because this was an EPA contractor, there's there's basically little or no legal recourse. Uh, I know my state's attorney general, Colorado attorney general, is, is looking at uh, a lot of lawsuits against the EPA contract. Anyway, we got that going on. Uh, we can talk about the environment and all that. And uh, I was also going to mention this uh, uh, terrorist attack on a train in Belgium on Friday. And uh, it was put down by three off-duty, or I think two off-duty service personnel, American servicemen, and a retired uh, National Guardsman, I believe. Uh, we have that for a topic. And hey, uh, Dad, did, yeah. Dad, before you uh, before you get into that topic, the uh, the shooting, um, since you mentioned going up there in the uh, the hills, uh, dropping the uh, the limestone off, that. That actually brought back some memories because I've been there uh, with you before. I remember going on a truck up there. Yeah. Yep. You and Elizabeth. That actually, uh, that, 
Yeah, that actually uh, brought up some memories of, of going up there. Yeah, yeah, you were, um, I don't know, you might have been seven or eight years old, something like that. Mm-hmm. That well, brought, the one that memory been... that, that came to mind, the one memory that came to mind is uh, we were going down the road. You were, you know, Of course, you were driving, and you had a two-liter bottle of Pepsi, and you went to take a sip out of it while driving and hit this big bump and got Pepsi all over you. I remember that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, because yeah, I started yeah. laughing, and you didn't think it was too funny. No, I really didn't. <laughs> uh, yeah, because uh, I took Brian and Elizabeth up there on the truck a couple of times, and uh, at that one line goes through there by Kempton. Now, folks, we're talking about really out in the woods. Mm-hmm. I mean, back in, back in the hills of western Maryland, um, you know, you've got uh, Western Virginia and West Virginia itself in that area, um, kind of southeast of Oakland, Maryland, off of uh, Highway 50. Anyway, uh, I remember there was a real nice lady that lived across the road uh, named Bessie Murray. And we were up there. I know Elizabeth was with us, and uh, we went and got set up and everything, and, and we went over... Uh, I think Bessie came out. She came down her road and talked to us. Elizabeth was out there, Elizabeth, and it was getting cool, so Bessie went in and got Elizabeth a sweater and gave Elizabeth a sweater. And, you know, she was just really friendly people. Um, she would fix coffee and, and, like, cookies and stuff like that, and we would go up there, and she would, uh, you know, we'd, we'd get the coffee and we'd get the cookies and everything. Dustin Murray gave uh, gave Elizabeth a sweater one time. But yeah, you you were up there. I think we did see some bears up there at least once, didn't we? I think so. I, I remember going somewhere and I had a uh, that's when the um, three liter three yeah the, the three liter bottles came out. I remember that. I know we were somewhere up there. Yeah, Don't yeah. Tell. yeah, that was Dustin Murray's house. That was, that yeah, was that's place. Place. They lived they lived okay. right across the road from from where the line goes through was. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, that was way back in the woods. Yeah, that's some good memories though. Yeah, yeah. You guys went on a truck with me quite a bit up there. Couple of times. Yeah, I'm um, looking at me now. I'm driving a truck myself. Yeah. <laughs> Well, at least you aren't doing 10 to 20 in some prison someplace. <laughs> hey, I could change that if you want. Nah, I think you better stay with what you're doing. <laughs> you know, be, being a convict and being a truck driver, the only difference is convicts don't use steering wheels. <laughs> yep. Yeah, that's about it, too, huh? Mm-hmm. Anyway, much. Um, yeah, so take a look at, at the Animus River spill, and, and, you know, if you want to learn something about how people are trying to mitigate, um, you know, trying to keep our environment clean or clean up the environment, take a look at that Maryland Department of Environment, uh, Lime Doser, D-O-S-E-R. And they have a really nice article, a couple of articles about their uh, Lime Doser program. Uh, it's kind of interesting, you know, the, uh, this past week I started getting followed by one of the guys from uh, Maryland Department of Natural Resources, which which is, you know, connected loosely with the Department of Environment. They kind of work hand-in-hand with each other. Anyway, uh, moving on to last Friday, apparently there was a, uh, a terrorist, on a train that was going, I believe, from Belgium to uh, Paris. And uh, anyway, there was a couple of uh, couple of American servicemen on the train that uh, I'm looking at the article here. There's a number of articles. And it's very hard sometimes to find an article that just has a good overview of it. Uh, but apparently... 
Uh, there was a uh, terrorist on the train that opened fire with an AK-47. And uh, these three Americans uh, jumped uh, on the guy and subdued him. And, of course, uh, you know, they got the train stopped. Uh, I don't know if there was anybody that was killed in this or not. I'm not sure. The one thing that I read about it was um, one of the uh, the servicemen was um, like they they got the uh, the weapon away from the terrorist, the uh, the rifle away from the terrorist. But apparently he pulled out a uh, a knife and one of the servicemen got uh, injured. But I, like, I don't think anybody got killed. There was just one one injury. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think so. I don't think there was any. Uh, um, I don't think there's any fatalities. And according to this article, um, this guy that did that is telling people that he wasn't a terrorist. He was just on. He was he was on the train to rob the passengers. He wasn't a terrorist. He was just a common thief. It says he is dumbfounded that his actions taken on a terrorist dimension. He took weapons and boarded the train to basically extort money from the passengers. Well, you know there are um, there are places in the world where people will jump on trains and steal from the passengers, and Europe is one of those places. Middle East, the Far East, this happens. Uh, it's just basically a criminal activity. It's not it's not terrorism. It's a criminal activity. Anyway, I think uh, Brian got dropped. We can uh, put him back on here. I'm trying to. Yeah, it looks like he got dropped again. Okay, well, anyway, right now, Lewis, me and you. Why don't I give you a minute, and uh, you can either talk about the Animus River spill, the uh, the the, the supposed robber on Belgian train, or whatever else you got up to that, go ahead and just give us a few minutes of what you think, please. Well, some things on my mind you don't want me to talk about, so we'll leave those alone. Um, Actually, the spill... I don't know how that came about, what what made it happen or anything like that. But in my mind's eye, all I can see is carelessness. That seems to be what happens with all the spills. The ones out in the ocean, all the oil that was lost, all the animals that were injured and killed. And it hurts us as well. I mean, you know... It gets into our ecosystems, our water, um, gets into the ground, and it just goes everywhere and ruins an awful lot of stuff, kills an awful lot of poor, innocent animals. (coughs) Excuse me. I don't know why it happens. The how to me, as I said, the how to me is pure carelessness on somebody's part. And I don't care what they think they prove or anything else. That's the way I feel and what I'm going to stand by. Sure, complete and total carelessness. We have to take care of what we have left. The hunting is wiping out an awful lot of our animals. So many are extinct now, but people still try to hunt them because they figure, oh, that law is for somebody else. I I don't come under that law. You know, I'm special. That's malarkey. Nobody is special. Everybody needs to work together. They need to quit working against each other and start working together. Or they're going to ruin everything, what little bit of everything that we have left. And then what's going to happen most of them are going to turn around and blame somebody else. Well, I didn't do anything. I didn't. That's not my fault. When they're the ones that were out there doing it. 
It's yeah. our fault because we didn't stop them. But hey, how are we supposed to stop them? Short of shooting them, and that's against the law. Huh. Yeah, that's right, Lou. Um, you know, and it, it's kind of interesting. I was thinking about this earlier, coming over from uh, from Oklahoma City over here to uh, Amarillo. I was listening to, um, you know, I, I get to listen to a lot of talk radio and, and NPR stations and everything. And, uh, somebody had, had mentioned um, the group PETA, People for the Ethical Treatment of Animals. And uh, I remember one time I actually had a conversation with a PETA person. And uh, they, they wanted to talk to me about, you know, uh, about their program and um, protecting wildlife and all of that. And I said, you know, I said, I'll tell you what, man, I'll talk to you when you take off those hypocritical leather shoes. The guy looked at me. I said, those shoes are made out of leather. They're made out of, you skinned an animal for, for something for your feet, and you're telling me I shouldn't hurt animals. thought that was kind of interesting are the ones that are supposed to be protecting the wildlife and the downtrodden and all that, and, and they believe that conservatives or right-wingers or Republicans don't, don't care about the environment or anything else. You know, that might be true on an individual basis, but collectively, everybody is concerned uh, about the environment and the natural world, and, and, you know, the world that we share with, uh, with other species and all that. And I said a long time ago that you can be on on either side of the subject or whatever, but ground and put in the air. When you were a kid, your parents, your mother told you, you know, put that back to yourself. That wasn't a, a liberal or a conservative thought. It was a thought that you're going to teach the kid if you, if you throw it on the ground, you've got to pick it up. Don't throw it on the ground in the first place. But if you make a mess, clean it up. We've all been told that when we were kids, every one of us. We are responsible for the leftovers of our lives. In, in basic language, when you go to the store and buy something, not all of what you buy is going to be consumed by you and your family. Some of it, the packaging, of course, is, is at that point useless. It's waste. And it's your responsibility to make sure that it's disposed of in a manner that does not pollute our world. You know, Lou, I've seen pictures. There was just one recently. I think it was a skunk. Got its head caught in a jar. Um, you go out in the Pacific Ocean and there's, uh, you know, those uh, uh, the little six-pack rings. The, the plastic rings where six six cans come together and you pull it right. out of the top of the holder. Um, there's, mm-hmm. there's fish and, um, you know, other aquatic animals that are, are getting these things stuck on them and everything. You know. We're responsible for that, right? Now, Lou, you also mentioned hunting. Uh, I, have, I have fished and trapped and hunted since I was a teenager. Now I don't go I don't go hunting or fishing much, you know, or traffic much anymore because I'm driving the truck all the time. But but I have, and I've never understood a person who would kill an animal and mount the head as a trophy, and that's it. You know, when I hunted and fished and trapped, it was for it was for feeding myself, or in in the case of trapping. You know, I used to trap muskrat, uh, coon, little possum every once in a while, but mainly muskrat, coon, and mink. And I did that for the fur as a business. Well, I earned my money over the wintertime when I was a teenager. Well, you know, early teenager, from, a, from about age 11 to about age 13. And then when we went to Ethiopia, that stopped. And then, of course, living in Germany, 
Um, I did go hunting in Germany, but it's it's very different than hunting here in the United States. Um, but anyway, when we lived in uh, in Michigan and Virginia and New Jersey, back when I was say like from nine to twelve years old, I hunted and, and fished and trapped in the wintertime, and uh, and we sold our fur. That's what we did. We didn't do it just for kicks, you know, just for just for fun. We did it for money. Get out into the environment and uh, and all that, and go winter camping. You know, I would go out. I would camp out over the winter. I would go to school during the day. I would go home in the afternoon, say hi to mom, you know, get something to eat, pack me a little lunch for overnight, and then I would go out in the woods to our camp. And and I lived in the camp. And then the next morning, I'd get up and I'd go to school. You know, and the next night, I'd come home, clean up, and all that. I would I would bounce between school and home and the camp. And I ran a trap line. I would go out and check my trap line in the morning before I went to school. But like I said, Lou, I don't understand people who hunt just for trophies. I, I don't trophy hunt. Um, if it's legal in that area, then fine, let them go do it. But I don't understand the mindset. That's what I'm saying. I don't understand why a person would want to go hunt just for the trophy. I don't, I don't understand. Because a lot of those animals, the meat isn't even good, good for humans to eat. So it's basically wasted, right? Mm-hmm. All right, anyway, um, uh, Brian, let's get back into you for a minute because we're running up to about, uh, we got about somewhere around 10 minutes left on the show. So, Brian, you're back on, so go ahead and fill us in on, mm-hmm. uh, on what you're thinking here. I think you were talking about the, uh, the supposed terrorist attack in Belgium on the train. Um, that, you know, I I read a little bit about it, uh, not a whole lot. All I know is there's a, uh, I think a Navy man, uh, National Guardsman and a one civilian that was, uh, the friends of the two service members. And other than that, I didn't really, you know, read a whole lot into the article. Um, but continuing to the the topic you were talking about, you know, trophy hunting and all that. I've I've never been hunting. Uh, I wouldn't mind going hunting, but, you know, it would be... Not for trophy hunting, you know, go out uh, deer season or whatever and actually, you know, use the meat. Uh, I've been fishing a couple of times, but every time I went fishing, it was always, you know, catch and release. You know, I never uh, never actually went fishing for, for food or anything like that. It was always catch and release. But I don't know, Lou, you brought up a really good point, you know, um, protecting what we have now for future, you know, what, yeah. what kind of came? What kind of came to mind was, you know, uh, what you do today might hurt you tomorrow. Exactly. Or or the next day. You know, that, that was the first thing that came to my mind. What you do today might hurt you tomorrow. Yeah, you might, you know, throw the the can or a bottle up, you know, out the window on the ground. But uh, I don't know. It, it's already been proven, though, Brian, with all the hunting and the, you know, these hunters that, these special people, my mm-hmm. sarcasm, that go to other countries and kill needlessly just because they want to. Also happened here in this country. We have extinct animals because people were told to stop and they didn't. And, you know, you go far enough, there won't be any food left. Yep. Look at how many farmers are out of business because there's so much of this and so much of that. A lot of farmers, and I know this firsthand because it was a family member, a lot of farmers say they're going to grow this. And the government says, no, 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 we'll pay you not to do that. Because we already have too much. Instead of saying, no, we don't need that. We need you to do this to even things out. Hello. That's the thing, though. There's there's a lot of people on, you know, 
on this planet, our population is, is higher than the amount of food that we're bringing in. Exactly. Yeah, yep. but you know, hunting hunting seasons. I can understand. We have hunting seasons for a reason, and it's to protect you know the uh, the amount of that animal. You know the uh, the population or numbers of that animal. That's why we have hunting seasons. That I can understand. Just going out and killing an animal for you know fun of it. No. And a lot of that's going on, and way too much of it, domestic mm-hmm. as well as wild. Okay. All right, um, we're getting close to time here. I was going to say, uh, uh, with the farm subsidies, Lou, uh, the government does pay farmers not to grow a particular crop, and unfortunately what that does is that it artificially inflates the price of the crop. Um, you know, the free market is going to determine what your price of, a, of an item is going to be. And if it's subsidized by the federal government, that screws up the free market. And that makes that, that crop more expensive than what poor people can afford to buy. Mm-hmm. So so the government, in thinking that they are helping farmers, they are not helping farmers, they are hurting poor people. Now, one, one, last, thing, one last thing about uh, polluting and, and, you know, corporations and all that. Corporations are in the business of making money. And they know that an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of chip. You know, people blame corporations for these spills and everything. But what they don't realize is that corporations spend millions of dollars preventing those spills from ever happening because they know an ounce of prevention is going to be a lot less price than the pound of chip. They know that. They know if they spill, they're going to get fined millions of dollars, and it's going to take millions of dollars for the cleanup and the lawsuits that follow. So they prevent that. They build that into their business plan. People blame corporations. Well, yeah, you know, accidents are going to happen, and corporations deal with it. But they also try and prevent it every way they can because they know it's going to hurt them. Anyway. Um, that's pretty much the show today, uh, and uh, and Lou. Um, I think uh, I think Brian was on first, so let me give Lou the final word here for just a minute, and then we'll move on to Brian, and then we'll close the show out. Okay? So, uh, Lou, you get first. You get first last word, and then Brian gets last last word. <laughs> that's okay. Go ahead, Lou. Um, Basically, the same as as always, please take care, slow down. Um, I think we're getting ready for our daily storm because we just had one heck of a bowling match up there going on just now. Got a little loud. I didn't know if you heard it over the, the phone or not, but evidently not. Nobody mentioned it. But slow down. Take care. Don't be angry. Just enjoy Scenery's gorgeous, especially now with all the rains that we've had. Everything's green and beautiful and growing. Of course, it's a pain having to mow the yard twice a week, but hey, better than having dirt. Take care. Get there in one piece. Don't hurt anybody or yourselves on the way. Fine. Um, agreeing with Lou, and mainly all I'm going to say is do not, for absolutely any reason whatsoever, drive like my father. (laughs) Do not do it. Just don't. Yeah, and uh, and folks, please. And and folks, please, don't drive like my son. (laughs) (laughs) Don't so don't drive like it. my, you know. Don't don't drive like my son, and don't drive like my son's father. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, anyway, um, you got anything else to say there, Brian? Not really. Not really. Okay. All right. Anyway, uh, folks, I appreciate you listening. 
uh, thanks, Brian, and thanks, Lou, for uh, helping out on the show today. Always appreciate your input and uh, all that. So let's go ahead and uh, oops, I'm in the wrong space here. Let's get ready to close out, and we will uh, see you all here next Sunday right here on uh, Blog Talk Radio for the interactive Internet with myself and Brian and Lou and whoever else shows up. We appreciate it, folks. Uh, We'll see you here next Sunday, 6 p.m. Eastern, for the interactive Internet. We'll close out with our normal closing theme. See you here next Sunday, folks. Bye-bye. Again, don't know where, don't know when, but I know we'll meet again some sunny day. Keep smiling through, just like you always do. Where?